0: Welcome back to Reality, Search Itself on the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay, and continuing our series of discussions with Thomas Frank. Uh, Watch all the rest, because the the whole conversation kind of has a flow to it. But we've been talking about American politics of uh, various kinds. And on reality, it asserts itself. Sometimes we start with this and sometimes we do it part way. We want to get the story of who the person is we're talking to. What what I mean by that is why do they think what they think, not just what they think. What were the main things that formed their political view, the way they look at the world? And so uh, that's what we're going to do now with Thomas Frank. Thanks very much for joining us again, Tom.
1: Paul, it is still my pleasure to be here.
0: (laughs) But that may change in this segment. Uh, Tom is a political analyst, a historian, a journalist, and a columnist for The Guardian. He's formerly wrote for Harper's Magazine, Salon, The Wall Street Journal, founded The Baffler, and he's written several books, including What's the Matter with Kansas? and most recently, Listen Liberal. So, you're born in Kansas City, Missouri in 1965. Correct. Um, give us a sense of what you were born into. What I mean by that is
1: the kind of culture, the class, the... Mm. So uh, when I was, my family lived in the the suburbs, Kansas City is mainly in Missouri, or it was at the time, it's since spilled over uh, the border, but uh, my family lived in the suburbs in the state of Kansas. And at the time we lived in a pretty blue collar suburb out very far away from, (laughs) from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. It's not as far anymore. The city has grown enormously. And uh, at some point, we moved to a very wealthy uh, part of Kansas City, of the suburbs of Kansas City. Now, was
0: that a change in economic situation for your family?
1: Family got Uh, wealthy? uh, Not all that wealthy, no. It it was was always uh, a sort of, uh, I don't know how you'd put it. It was like we lived there, but we were clearly not, uh, you know, didn't belong there. You know what I mean, and uh, so I, I uh, the the kids that I grew up around, uh, you know, were the, the the sort of ruling class of Kansas City. But um, there was always a, a you know, I, I was clearly not one of them.
0: And I'm assuming very white. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, what what did your family do? What kind of work?
1: M- my dad uh, was an engineer, and my mom was a nurse.
0: So. Oh, as you come to consciousness, uh, I'm assuming, like most Americans, when you hit pre-K or kindergarten, at least, you got to put your hand here and and, and pledge allegiance I mean, I said to the pledge. flag. Oh yeah, yeah. And I did that
1: with enthusiasm.
0: You did, and still do.
1: No, did. You did. I, I, I mean, I don't go to school anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you I was did a, with enthusiasm. I was a very conservative uh, kid. It was the uh, early '70s. I started. Elementary school it would have been in 1970 or 69, maybe. So I Vietnam War has to be at least Vietnam within, War was within going your on. horizon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was very patriotic, and I remained that way for a long time. Uh, in fact, I was—you uh, uh, know—politics takes a long time to, to dawn on you. But uh, I was a fan of Ronald Reagan. I was very conservative. I uh, in high school, I was very conservative. I, I still. I went to a high school reunion of mine, and, and uh, one of them, the, some guy that I knew in high school was surprised to learn that I wasn't still a conservative. <sighs>
0: yeah. Anyhow, the, the the I mean, I've I've talked about this before in Real News, but you know, I grew up in Canada. I'm a dual citizen, but but I've always seen Americanism as pretty close to a religion, and then many religions weave Americanism into the actual. Body yeah, of sure. of the religion, yes. You know the flag is pretty close to Jesus in, in some religions. Yeah, um, was that for you?
1: Uh, I was, you know, uh, I kept the two separate, of course. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, I was also very religious. Um, but no, this sort of a lot of this, the sort of the 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 kind of fundamentalist uh, or evangelical excess. I would say excess. The kind of, the stuff that we associate with evangelical culture, no, that was not familiar to me at the time. Uh, I went to a, a mainline Protestant church, and uh, although I, you know, I, I was very familiar with, uh, with, you know, obviously with religion and was pretty religious, um, no, I, I knew to keep the two separate. The, uh,
0: but both religion and what I'm calling a religion of Americanism, and even if they're separate, they both need great leaps of faith and have big doses of fundamentalism in them. Yeah. And, and certainly the way history is taught in most schools uh, about America, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rather uh, religious view of, uh, naive view really, of American history. Yeah. It still gets to the core of your psyche, like you start, you know, you have a sense of who I am, that's very much at the core yes. of who I am.
1: Now, uh, now here's, a, here's where the, the the sort of story of my political development takes an interesting turn. And that is that uh, Kansas, so I was growing up, now like I said, in the suburbs of Kansas City, Missouri. So I'm just over the border, just barely in Kansas. But they did, in my elementary school, one thing they did emphasize was that we were Kansans and we were different from those people in Missouri, you know. <laughs> and in fact, Kansas had fought a border war with Missouri uh, 10 years before the Civil War over the issue of slavery. And it had been pretty savage, you know, this is John Brown and that kind of thing. They called it bloody Kansas. And, um, so, Kansas identity was very important to us. And one of the things that was, uh, that now looking back uh, from uh, my middle age on back at, at my youth is how populist everyone was that I grew up around, that populism was just in the air we breathed, that this mistrust of, distrust of authority, this hatred of elites, uh, aristocracy, presumption, uh, uh, all of that was just second nature in Kansas. and. Um, What's funny is that, uh, like I said, uh, I was surrounded by fairly affluent people and they were this way too. Everyone was this way. Only they had a weird, and this, again, didn't occur to me till many years later, they had a weird sort of upside down way of understanding populism, which is that the elite that is holding you down is the government. And in fact, it took me years to understand that this was in fact, uh, this was populism stood upside down. This wasn't the real deal. I didn't realize that till I went to college. You know, uh, I, you know, when I was Ronald Reagan was running for Ronald Reagan had his whole populist appeal, uh, and I bought it, man. I thought he was. Uh, by the way, Carter did too, and I liked that too. I liked both these guys, uh, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. But, but Reagan really had it down. He, I mean, he had that. Remember that sort of Reader's Digest way of talking and those anecdotes that he would tell. And uh, and, oh, and I where loved you're growing guy. up is predominantly Republican? Uh, Yes, Kansas was very Republican. Now, uh, Missouri was not. Missouri was a, you know, this is Harry Truman. Harry Truman was also from a suburb of Kansas City, Independence, Missouri. Uh, Missouri was traditionally a Democratic state, Um, but Kansas was Republican. Now this, this, is true, but it, it also confuses a lot because the Republicans were not necessarily right-wing, the Republicans in Kansas were not necessarily right-wing, and the Democrats in Missouri were not necessarily left-wing, you know. They're all over the map. Well, the you big, know? These were
0: one-party states. Well, the big dividing issue of that time, as you start to come to more political consciousness, and it's a very political period, is the Vietnam War. That's right. No, i, I got to say up front, I'm going to ask the question, but Tom told me already he's not going to talk too much about what his parents think or don't think, but I'm asking anyway. Uh, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: was, where What was your own, as you grew up, thinking about Vietnam War? What was it in your family? What was it in your community? Because across the country, there's nothing more divisive at yeah, the time. Yeah,
1: Vietnam War. Um, so I was very pro. I was, a, you know, I built plastic models, and I loved fighter planes from World War II. And for for uh, uh, kids my age, World War II was still the great heroic story in the background, and we uh, admired and honored those, you know, the 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 other kids' dads had all been in in World War II, and um, so it was it was tough to. Uh, you know to for that realization to happen that the Vietnam war was a uh, uh, was was a was a bad idea. But I think even in the most patriotic communities, like the one I grew up in, people came to that understanding. Uh, uh, look, the Tet Offensive, I was three. I don't really remember that. By the time I had come to sort of consciousness and awareness, Nixon was president, the public had really turned against the Vietnam War. Even very patriotic people were like, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> this is a bad idea. This is a terrible mistake. Uh, what's funny is people turn against Nixon too. And I remember the day Nixon resigned. Um, you know, that was uh, even in a Republican place like Kansas, people were sick of that guy. They were, they were glad he was gone. But for you, it's,
0: it, and for many other people, it's still an in- individual bad apple. But in terms of the Republican view of the world, right?
1: No, I didn't understand. That's not yet challenged. But Nixon also wasn't particularly—he uh, was conservative in the, the, the way that he sort of pioneered the strategy that that the Republicans have used ever since then. But he wasn't a particularly conservative president or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, those those all the, the sort of way that we understand modern conservatism didn't come in until later on in the '70s. I mean, in the '70s, the country started turning that way. But. Um, I did admire Ronald Reagan, I confess to it. Um, I thought he was a, uh, I thought he was a great man. I thought he was a real historic figure. but I was 15 in 1980. and I, was, I the way I think about it is I was exactly the age when you should admire a guy like Ronald Reagan because he speaks in fairy tales, you know He's talking to children and that's how he understands the world is with these very simple you know... Uh, uh, You know these very brightly colored, you know, visions of right and wrong, and uh, so I was exactly I think the way I think about it. I was the target market for a guy like that. Do you remember? And his slogan was, although I don't know if it was his slogan, but "Make America Great Again." Yeah, it was was, his. And he he said this all the time. And they had a whole bunch of he had a whole bunch of different ways of putting it. And I was one of the ones who I believed in that very uh, profoundly at the time, and I really uh, believed in national decline in the Carter race. I watched Jimmy Carter's Malay speech on TV. I remember where I was sitting when I watched that, and I... And Tell,
0: I for people that don't know, what uh,
1: Yeah, Carter gave a, a very unusual speech for a president talking that about how there was something that ails us. I forget how he put it exactly. Uh, they called it the malaise speech later on, but basically that we were a, a, a society that was in love with consumer goods. It was really weird for a president to, to uh, sort of uh, uh, give this diagnosis of what was the matter with America. And he did it in this very somber way he you know never smiled anymore, and that remember Carter always smiled when he, in seventy six but by the end he was this uh, very somber man and uh uh and I thought when I saw that speech, I was like, this is really profound, you know, for the president to say something like this. But it was also, it was, he was clearly talking about a country in decline and that there was nothing we could do about it and that we had to accept that. And here comes Reagan, <laughs> you know. And by the way, I, I loved Carter for that. I thought he was, there was something really noble about that man. We're talking about a child, remember. I was, I was little, I was 14, I was 15. And right. here comes Reagan, and uh, you know, America. We're going to make America great again. It was a perfect response to Carter's gloom, gloomy outlook. And uh, as a child, I was just like, you know, fantastic. You know, sign me up. This
0: sounds great. Well, well one of the core theses of, of Reagan is that socialism equals dictatorship, big government.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, big and, government. Yeah. And I, I bought that. I thought that. And I thought you're was... still
0: believing in that when you hit college.
1: Yes, I was, as a matter of fact. And, you know, and I was involved with the Republicans and, and in college and all that sort of thing. And, and, and let me
0: just say, the equation of socialism and big government ain't necessarily true, but, the that's, whole, but that's the way it was portrayed. Of course, but
1: yeah. the, the, the whole libertarian way of looking at the world where everything was a question of, of government. You know, uh, freedom is the extent to which you don't have government you know it's it's one to one freedom is this government is this if government gets big freedom goes down if we have freedom we have less government it was that was very uh, plain and obvious to me and the reason it was plain and obvious to me was because all the adults i knew that's what they said they hated government they hated paying taxes <laughs> you know they were all small businessmen and they that's the way they looked at the world and so i understood things that way and it wasn't until years later I was in college, I took a summer job, and it was a—am I allowed to curse on, on your program?
0: Uh, hold on, let me check. Is he allowed to curse
1: on the program? <laughs> uh,
0: you can't use more than five letters in the word, but yes. It was a shitty job.
1: <laughs> it was an ill-paid job. And, uh, uh, and you know, and, and I started to get a taste of what capitalism is, and it. Astonished me to learn about it. You know that this is actually what what it is. You know,
0: well, even to use the word back then was shady. Capitalism. To say, oh, oh, well, to you know, use whatever. It, you can you use
1: whatever. It. Yeah, that's right. Use but whatever word you you want. I mean, the economic least, system which, which of our country.
0: Can, yeah, but but then the reason is is, to be, and this is sort of my next question. How much did Cold War Cold War propaganda, Cold War television, Cold War view of the world? Affect your own oh, outlook as you as you grew up immensely, of way.
1: course. Well, that was that was the always you know conscious. That was the the background against which everything uh, uh, happened was was the Cold War. Of course, that was what defined uh, everything in the world for us. Um, now. Um, you know, I still think you know the the, the Soviet Union. Is, of course, that was a terrifying threat. I'm still I'm still right there on that one. The Soviet Union was bad news, but <laughs>
0: it may have been bad. news. I'm not so sure it was a terrifying threat, but it was certainly bad yeah, news. Yeah, well, whatever. Well, but, but it was bad news for people living to some, in the Soviet Union. Oh yeah,
1: but the, but the, the Cold War was so. But the idea was, that of course the Russians were coming, you know, Russians were
0: coming, was kind well, of crazy. Well, okay,
1: yeah, that was that was. That was uh, pretty loony. Uh, I, you know, didn't didn't come into many. uh, I didn't didn't run against many examples of that. But you want to hear a funny story? So in 1983, I was on the debate team in my high school. I was pretty good at it. This was my sport, and I loved it. You know, you can imagine, right? I really took to this sport, and you know, did massive. I, I overdid it on the research. Way massively overdid it, and in my uh, senior year in high school, uh, the topic was arms sales to foreign countries. It was all set against the backdrop of the Cold War, and so I did you know enormous amounts of research on this. And it, by the way, it's still some of the things I researched still come up to this day. Um, selling F-16s to Pakistan, we debated that. My subject, by the way, was kind of a. Twist on the Cold War story. I said that my uh, debate topic was we should stop selling arms to Indonesia because they used them to invade East Timor, and they had committed these incredible atrocities in East Timor, which we would then prove, you know, using all this 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 horrifying uh, and it's it's still a horrifying. Are you doing
0: that? And you're still in more or less Republican, you still a, Yeah, still I, a I, had a little, I had a picture
1: of an F-16 on my briefcase. I remember that, right? But, 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 but there's always, you know, a, a, there's always uh, stories around the edges of the Cold War that are just horrifying and awful, you know. And, you know, these people certainly didn't deserve what Indonesia did to them, uh, no matter what Indonesia says, you know, they're, they're clearly in the wrong. Anyhow. That's, that was, uh, so I was always reasonable but, about but all but this stuff.
0: But you're still in college, you're in college during this debate. No, that was,
1: that was high school. That's high that school, was high school. Okay. Yeah, that was a, that was a big, big, big deal for me. Uh, debating arm sales back then. So, uh, anyhow, so I went to college. Uh, the world didn't give a damn that I was a champion debater. The world didn't care that I got good grades. That I, you know, and the world—you find out that the world doesn't give a damn, and that's shocking to you. And the, at the same time, you start learning history. History was my subject, of course. And the world really opens up, and you start understanding that there are so many options to human societies, and that it's not. A vast contest between government and individual freedom. You know that that's like that. That's just some you know propaganda line that the Reader's Digest came up with. That doesn't describe jack shit anywhere else in the world. That means like nothing. You know, and uh, there's a million ways of thinking about it. the possibilities of of human civilization, the things that humans have done over the course of time, and you start realizing the possibilities in our own time. And that's when I, uh, that's the, the combination of that with my experience of actually working. Those two things uh, really changed the way I viewed the world. And, so, and also discovering, uh, this, this happened later of course, but what populism really was you know that I had and again this is through the study of history I, I didn't know anything about the history of the Democratic Party or the history of the American left or socialism or the labor movement or populism or far, radical farm movements which had once been very big in Kansas but didn't exist anymore by the time I was coming up and or, or existed but I didn't know about them and uh, uh, this was shocking when I learned about this stuff shocking it was shocking to me because these people weren't communists These people weren't trying to take away other people's freedom, they were trying to expand human freedom and they were using the state to do it or they wanted to use the state to do it or they wanted to use organized labor to do it or they wanted to use these various means to do it. That was was a eye opening uh, course of study when I learned that stuff. And this is in college? In college, yeah, my first year in college, yep. And when did you start? I went a little too far. And when did did you start to encounter,
0: you know, progressive literature, progressive writers, left-wing literature?
1: Oh, so uh, when did I start the? Started Baffler magazine in 1988. I graduated. I. I, Not in college. No, I, I graduated the year before. So I graduated in 87. I mean, in terms
0: of what stuff you would read? I mean, did you read any Marx and Engels, any left-wing stuff?
1: Uh, I never really, I, Marx was too dry for me, but yes, I did, of course. I started reading The Nation in magazine. College. Yeah, in college, oh. yeah. I started reading The Nation magazine. I started, um, um, you know what my favorite was back then? This is uh, Spy magazine. Do you remember Spy? Yeah. This absolutely just complete, you know, respect for no one, The scoffing at everyone. Oh, I loved that thing. And so we started the Baffler magazine in 1988, my friends and I, and um, a lot of it out of admiration for Spy Magazine. One of my other great heroes at the time, and he, he was a conservative, but I loved the way he wrote, it was H.L. Mencken from right here in Baltimore. Talk about a scoffer. This is a man that had no respect. Now, he was for one him. of your heroes
0: in college? <laughs> oh, yes, because right. of
1: his, his style. Oh, my okay, God. His, ha- okay, his, ha- hang on.
0: This is, Mankin's one of the more reactionary writers in the whole American right, tradition. Right, right, but right. But if you,
1: if you. Well, some parts of what he was doing were yeah, not when he went against the fundamentalists and went against uh, uh, World War I. I mean, he was, you know, and not, not when he went against uh, Prohibition.
0: He was against uh, World War II, too, right?
1: Uh, i never read anything from him from that period. When you got into Mencken as a young man in that period, the uh, essays that you would read were these collections that had been put together in the 40s and 50s, and they did not include his denunciations of Roosevelt. I didn't know about that. I was a big admirer of... By this point of, of Roosevelt, uh, I think f-
0: And in his correspondence later, they found like all sorts of terrible things. Yeah, th- pro-Nazi, yeah. racist. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, So I didn't know. Yeah. I wasn't aware of any of that. But uh, the, essays of his, yeah, the, the, the
0: essays. of was from Baltimore, by the
1: way. Yeah, the essays of Mencken that, that I that I that I liked that I appreciated were the ones from the 20s, the famous ones, uh, you know, scoffing at uh, American pieties of every description. Um, Making fun of the South? Do you remember this, the Sahara of the Bozars? I don't because... know his work. I mean... <laughs> oh man, this guy was incredible, and even over that, uh, you know, the, the, the seventy years, uh, you know, reading this guy from the nineteen twenties, uh, I. I really admired the way that man wrote. Okay, anyway, I mean, apparently,
0: he was one of the great writers of the time.
1: Oh, yes, but, and also, I mean, he also was a great editor, and he he discovered all of these various talents, and, you know, and I admired that, and that's, I was, I determined, I set out to be another, you know, a a good version of H.L. Mencken, one with better politics, but with all the scoffing intact, you know? (laughs) All right, well, the
0: next segment, we're gonna pick up on how you get from Mencken, (laughs) and still mostly a Republican, in college to uh, an enthusiast about a guy named Bernie Sanders and his socialism <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah
0: all right please join us for the next segment of reality asserts itself with Tom Frank on the real news network